Welcome to Movie Geeks United. This is a general movie uh, news, movie reviews uh, episode, and uh, man, in terms of movie news, uh, there's a lot to cover from the past couple of weeks. Indeed, a lot there of goings is. on. Yeah, yeah. So let's Indeed. recap this whole Oscar fiasco. Let's do so, John. John Bailey is the head of the Oscars, but I don't. His official title. Uh, let's just say his official title is head of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. He won a he won election recently, so let's recap his decisions in the past few months. His first decisions as the head of the Academy. He uh, wanted to uh, have Kevin Hart host. Uh, that was out. Mm-hmm. He wanted to give out an award for the best popular film. That was out. He wanted to only perform two of the best song nominees. That didn't work out either. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now he wanted to cancel uh, the pr- presentation of the awards in four categories. Uh, cinematography, hair, makeup, editing, and best uh, was it live action short or it was one of the shorts? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Um, so, uh, and after much protest, that was out too. <clears throat> so he's really batting a thousand in his in his new position. And John <laughs> Bailey, just to let everyone know, I mean, he is. And this is particularly what shocked me about the decision to ex- excise editing and cinematography because yeah, he yeah. is a well-regarded cinematographer. That's I mean, correct. Stuff like uh, uh, ordinary people, the in the line of fire, as good as it gets. I mean, the cat people. Lots of credits to his name, and he is married to one of the maybe top three living uh, editors in the business, well-regarded editors in the business. Carol Littleton has been mm-hmm. on our show, who's edited all of Kazdan stuff and uh, ET and on yeah. and on and on. And so he says, let's get rid of cinematography and editing. Editing. <laughs> <In> his defense, <laughs> he was saying, look, we're, not, we're going to give them out during commercial breaks and do a recap video that we play later on in the ceremony. We just want to save time by cutting the reading of the nominees, the opening of the envelope, and then walking to the stage. Yeah. Um, you know, which would shave, what, four minutes? Five minutes, maybe, from the show, maybe. Very negative. Uh, let's just say that. Yeah. So he's all of these decisions have been reversed based on protest. Uh, so let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. It, it's the battle between they keep the Oscars relevant by making changes. I mean, the actual ceremony. Should they be open to making changes, or should they just be uh, resolved to the fact that the Oscars are the Oscars? I think that they should resolve it. Uh, you know, just be resolved to the fact that the Oscars are the Oscars. I mean, the, the few people that are tuning in are the people like us who are cinema fans and people who really care about movies. Uh, the general population is not going to tune in, as we well know, as demonstrated by the numbers, uh, unless there's a movie like Titanic in the running. Uh, they're not going to get that those those types of numbers, and um, especially in this day and age we live in, when, when the Super, even the Super Bowl is, is viewership is dropping. 
So what what can they possibly expect? So I, I say don't alienate the few regular audience members that you do have by doing something just really stupid like this. Um, keep 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 the few be be uh, happy with what you have, and um, you know keep keep the ones that 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 keep coming back and and just resign yourself to the fact that things have changed and. You know, uh, those big numbers, the days of those big numbers are probably in the past for good. Yeah. And that's my thing. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. The, num- the, the Those Titanic numbers are probably in the past. Yeah. So, I mean, this is why they're, this is why they're freaking, because for the past five or six years or however long it's been, every year it's slid down a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and so they got ABC to worry about. This is, this is an ABC anxiety that's right yeah they they're they're all about shilling their for the you know making sure their products get um ample um that enough audience members see the products that are being advertised that's what they're concerned about more than anything else i think and when you have less eyes less people are going to see those advertisements and and that that you know people are they can't command as high of a, a rate, advertising rate for for that yeah. sort of thing, and, the, and that's part of it's it's you know it goes down to money is what I'm getting at. Long story I short, I mean, if what you're after is ratings, I mean, just you know, interject like some cream corn wrestling or something. Uh, yeah, you know, do, do, <laughs> you know, put some kind of uh, <laughs> put some kind of distasteful reality show spin on it, or make it uh, you know. Make it a competition. Have all the nominees stand on stage like in a dunk tank, and uh, everyone who doesn't win will be dunked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, humiliate the losers. Line them, line all the uh, losers up against the wall and, and get a fire hose out and hose them down. <laughs> exactly. I mean, how far do we want to take this before you say, you know – ABC either deal with it or you know H- HBO would love these numbers. Netflix yeah, would love right. that's that true. show. It's true, but there's there is a lot of filler that that I personally, if I were producing it, I would get rid of. And and one of the things that I think is that opening you know monologue is is I mean we don't really miss it. I don't think if it's not there. I mean if you just go right into the the, the the giving out the awards I I personally I'm there to see the awards be given out so I, I that's to me well, that's a good there's there, there's a trade there is a trade off because if you do and we'll see next week when the Oscars happen mm-hmm. but if you do do without an opening comedian's monologue in its place there's going to be some movie star that walks up stage and talks about how great and meaningful movies are. How oh, they join yeah. us all together uh, uh, under sweeping music, you know. Mm-hmm. The the one time of the year that Bill Conti gets back to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll be one of those montages put put together by Chuck Workman, probably that guy mm-hmm. who always does the the. But some little... of those are great. Oh, they really are. But, yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from him. He's he's done some great work. Uh, some of them, a, a couple of them, have actually brought tears to my eyes. They were so well done, to be honest. Um, I find them very moving. But I think we, I think we get it by this point. You know, yeah. every single one of those montages, and it, thirty years ago, they were new. But we yeah. know all the clips. 
you know, we know all the clips they use for those kinds of montages as well done as they are. We've gotten the point. We've gotten our fill of them. I mean, I remember Mm -hmm. one year, a couple of years ago when they did multiple montages and it was, uh, it was pointless. It was a waste of time. Yeah, too much. The head of the Academy, which is now Cheryl Boone Isaacs, it used to be um, uh, Hiller, Arthur Hiller, (laughs) used to come on stage and deliver their whole address thing like they're they're talking to the Board of Governors or something. And uh, that's a waste of time. I mean, nobody cares about them. Nobody gives a shit if Price Waterhouse walks on stage. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because the general public just doesn't care. I mean, you know, they just they just don't. And um, you know, you're exactly right. I I just don't know why they can't just forego any kind of and just get right to the awards. Why can't they just uh, yeah, you, you know, just go right to it? I mean, uh, I, I don't I, think you can make it. A, I don't think you can make a two-hour show. What they're trying to do is make it a three-hour show. Yeah, I think three hours three-hour show might be doable. If, like you said, you just you get right to the awards, but at the same time, I don't think it's right to undercut the actual people who are nominated. So I don't no. think it's right not not to perform every best song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if they're the five that are nominated, then they need to be performed. They're worthy of a nomination, which usually they aren't. So they should be worthy of performance. Yeah. Uh, I think the same thing about the score, too, by the way. I'm not saying they should play a whole score, but I really liked the years when they played snippets of the score. And then there was one year when they had, like, dancers in shadow and they were making shapes and stuff based on the movies. If you remember that year. I do. That was nice. And you you got to hear some of these these scores performed, which is the, the, the whole point of the evening. Is to recognize yeah. the people that are nominated and their work. Yeah, back when back when there were actually scores that had hummable melodies, uh, which is something we don't have now, unfortunately. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. But there are some yeah. good scores this year. There um, are. Yes, I agree. I agree. There, there's, there's a higher number than there than there have been in recent years past. So yeah. Uh, uh, the ba- banter. I mean. <sighs> Some of it works. Most of it does not. Uh, you know, that's a lot of minutes you can shave off right there. Yeah. And, the uh, stuff that you shouldn't shave off is the stuff that people actually tune in for, which are, the, for the most part, the acceptance speeches, because you never know how moving one of those might be. Yeah, and, true. You know, you could, you could be in the midst of a great, gracious, grateful teary, emotional, moving, accepted speech, and they'll be playing them off. And I'm like, no, this this is the stuff that you should not play off. Yeah. This is the reason why people tune in. Yeah, because every life has a story, and, and sometimes the path that led to them getting that award is as interesting as the – the film they may be getting the award for, or or not, but <laughs> but still, they should you do. Know, you yeah. know, next Monday morning, next Monday morning they should do is poll uh, with a bunch of people. Uh, what was your mm-hmm. favorite part? You know, and I guarantee most of them will say a certain person's acceptance speech. Yeah, um, no and 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 then whatever else they say, and then whatever they don't say, look at that stuff to cut out. Yeah, you know. 
That's right. That's a good point. Yeah, I just I I, I think that it's very important to let these uh, all the awards be given out in their entirety because some of these people, uh, especially these documentary filmmakers, short filmmakers, uh, uh, you know, animated or or live action short yeah. uh, filmmakers, this may be their only chance to have that that. Um, you know, to be there, to to be in the running for an award, to have that moment, and to just have it cheapened that way, I, right, I, I don't, I don't think that's that's just not fair to them because it's you know for, for the uh, the big talent, you know the the actors and, and all that, they're a lot of them are going to be repeat performers. They're going to come back and get nominated again some other time down the road. But uh, some of these people who you know, uh, toiled to get these little films made, and you never know what exactly how much blood, sweat, and tears went into actually getting them made. It may have been a struggle that went on for for a decade or more. Who knows? Um, you know, yeah. a lot of cases, and for them to well, and uh, I mean, their their argument to cut them out, which they're not this year, but their argument to yeah. cut them out would be, well, they're not famous. Nobody's tuning in to see them. But that's the whole cool thing about why they're there. They're, what's yeah. cool about it is that they're not famous. Well, they're they're kind of the conduit between the person at home who dreams of making movies and and the, the Oscar stage because yeah. they're 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 nobodies. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm, right. I'm sure they're all very nice, very nice people, but I don't I don't beat it that way. I know, it's, yeah. So it's a it's a good good human thing. And in terms of what people don't want to see, I don't think anybody in the history of the Oscars has ever said. Uh, I, I don't want to see them people walking up to the stage. <laughs> yeah. It's like, was that really like the problem? The walk up to the stage? Because they, they were talking about this last year, about giving it to them in their seats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, and I think it's some of these things, these gimmicks, like the the giving out the pizza and the selfies and all that crapola, if I must say so. Uh, I just yeah. I, uh, you, you can get rid of that, and I mean you know there because some of it looks really really staged to me. It doesn't look spontaneous, no matter how. See, hard I, they I liked try. all the Ellen. I I liked all the Ellen stuff, but obviously that's expendable. But I yeah, I I, I, I was fine with a three and a half hour telecast, so I didn't have a problem with that. Uh, you know, some stuff worked less well. Yeah. Like the theater, theater across the street, or the that's what I tourist mean. Yeah, that came in the more. theater, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I wasn't really trying to pick on Ellen because I thought some of the when they brought in the tourists, that that was where it kind of sank to a yeah a point where I said, okay, we can we we don't really need this. this is, One of them just got out of prison or something like somebody. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Did you hear what uh, Kimmel actually wanted to do with Meryl Streep? Because that was the year that Trump said she was overrated. Kimmel oh, no, I, wa- I didn't. wanted to recognize her, and what he ended up doing was just recognizing her. Yeah. Just, Please give a round of applause for the overrated Meryl Streep, and she stood up and everybody yeah, gave her right. standing ovation. And everything. What he wanted to do was he said, uh, since you're so overrated, uh, we decided to, to make up for that slight by uh, by giving you a prize, and he was going to give her a donkey. <laughs> and she was going to have she was going to have to sit there holding on to a donkey leash or whatever you leash them with. Yeah. And, uh, but they, there was concerns about the sanitation. That's the oh, only reason wow. why they didn't do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that would have been great. All the recurring stuff with the all the recurring Matt Damon stuff was great. Yeah, uh, it was the stuff that the about the stars talking about their favorite movies and then walking out with those. That was great, you know. Mm-hmm. But that stuff, like, I have no problem with three and a half hours if it's a good show. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but some of that stuff is, I don't know. It just seems like they've been really straining to connect. Um, you could almost feel the 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 wheels of the machine uh, turning. <laughs> to try to 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 modernize it and and get you know the younger viewers or whatever by doing that sort of some of that stuff so i i don't know but um yeah yeah i'm 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 so glad though that they listened to reason and and decided to overturn their initial decision and and have those awards given out during the actual telecast yeah. I mean, you know, not during the commercial breaks. I'm just just so glad. I, I was I was afraid that they really might just not listen to it at all and say, "Well, we're doing this. We don't care whether you like it or not, and um, this is the way it's going to be. So get over it." And they, I was they've overturned of, every single decision they've tried to make this past. They year. really have. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, and I guess that's encouraging because they're at least listening, which. Uh, in this day and age, I'm so used to people in positions of power not listening to anybody and just doing what they want to do <laughs> whenever. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, you know when, so, when their contract's up. I, I don't know when their contract with ABC is up, but when it gets to that point, they ought to shop around. Yeah, uh, I think it's because, another ten and, years. And, and, oh God. I think. It's it's pretty oh, long. It's into the twenty. It's well into the twenty twenties. I read that the other day. Uh, it may may be like seven years. It may not be quite ten, but it's it's definitely a ways out. So, I mean, what I don't want, and I, I know they rely rely on those dollars too, because they got a big museum mm-hmm. that they're opening at the end of this year. And um, yeah, but sure uh, what I don't want is for for them to cheapen themselves so much that they wind up on E. Uh, no. However. No. I, 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 Netflix is paying big bucks for everything they get their hands on, and they'd have a bigger audience on Netflix. I guarantee. Yeah. You. Yeah. Absolutely. You you uh, you you hit the nail on the head, and um, I, I think I think when this contract with ABC is up, and it's such a rapidly changing uh, landscape anyway, when you talk about network television. Because yeah. they're becoming increasingly irrelevant as, in terms of the shows that actually get all the Emmy love and all that. So uh, broadcast television is is increasingly becoming a dinosaur. So it, it is, you know, it could things are changing at such a rapid rate that by the time this contract is up, it could be a just a totally different uh, scenario from, from that we can't even imagine by that time. So. Mm-hmm. It's just—it's hard to fathom, really. It's a big, uh, big uh, celebrity death uh, period that we're in right now. Uh, who, who, who will be included in the Oscar in memoriam? Let's speculate. The latest happened earlier today, and it was Bruno Ganz. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fantastic actor. Like I think mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't realize how fantastic he was until they saw him play Hitler in Downfall. But he yeah. was around long before long before that. But that was such a you know volcanic 
performance. It really was yeah. an amazing performance and a very good movie. Uh, and then Wings of Desire and the and the other one that I remember him from most is the uh, the other Vin Vendors that he he did the American Friend. No, that I was, was Vin Vendors, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, it was. The, yeah, with, with Dennis Hopper back in seventy. That's 70, correct. Yeah, seventy. Whatever, seventy one or seventy seven. Yeah. And then he yeah. popped up a few a few years ago in this in one of those stupid Liam Neeson movies where he was in Paris <laughs> and he didn't know his identity or something. Yeah, and, uh, Bruno Gans pops up, and I was, I was like, "Wow, like a real actor of weight in one of these things." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it it doesn't quite fit. This yeah, <laughs> it was pretty wild. Yeah, I remember that. Sure, I can't remember which movie it was, but yeah, I remember it was one of those gasping moments I, like, when you saw. Yeah, I remember like years ago seeing Mickey Rourke in some scene in Expendables. Two, I think it was, and he's doing a tattoo on Stallone or something, and he has this big monologue that he's emoting the hell out of. I mean, I'm talking like almost on the level of his monologue that he has in The Crossing Guard, where he's just turning it to blubber. It's like a great performance. I'm looking at him and thinking, wrong movie, man. Like this is not registering. You're you're not in. In terms of endearment, you're in the Expendables too. This is like way too sincere <laughs> to, to go at that level. Anyway. Oh wow! He so what do you what a, do you value most about Bruno Gans? I well, Downfall is just incredible, of course. Uh, he's recently, most recently, I just saw him two months ago in the new Lars von Trier, The House the Jack Built. So uh, he's he's he was probably would kill them. Uh, That could be that could be, but uh, not bad. And uh, also interesting um, turn in Nosferatu the Vampire, the um, uh, the nineteen seventy nine version with Klaus Kinski. Of course, that's uh, that's an interesting. uh, uh, That's always been an interesting take on that. Um, But yeah, uh, just you know, there's there's so many. He he was he worked pretty steadily. All the, all the way through the years, and um, you know, turning up and like you said, just uh, sometimes you'd be surprised when you when you would see him turn up in something. And but yeah, it was. Uh, I I don't know what happened to him. I think it must have been a. Oh, he's in the reader. I forgot about that. He played the professor in that. That's another one. Yeah. So, yeah. Bruno. But, all of our all of our Bruno actors are dead. Bruno yeah, Gantz, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno Kirby. Yeah. Uh, the the guy that played. Uh, oh no, that's Brutus. What's the character in Popeye? <laughs> that's Brutus. You got it. That's Brutus. It's, oh yeah. Right. Paul, Paul Ill Smith played him in the Robert Altman movie. Oh, okay. That character actor. But yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen's still alive, and he he did that movie Bruno. So it's Bruno. That's out. right. That's very true. Uh, yeah, I don't know how he died. It doesn't. It doesn't say here how he died. He's seventy-seven. No, you know anything can happen when you're when you're seventy-seven, unfortunately. But yeah, but he was, uh, like I said, working steadily. Colon cancer. Colon. Oh cancer. wow, really? He hmm. was diagnosed with colon cancer, so I would I assume that's what. Yeah. Got him. Yeah. And no, then we have, then we have Albert Finney, a real. Oh yeah. 
tre- treasure of an actor that we haven't seen since oh, maybe Skyfall was the last movie he did. I'm not sure. That's right. That was the last one. He's been out. Of, he was been out of it for a while, but you know, he gave decades of great performances. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite? Yeah. Well, as far as the the latter movies he made, uh, I was I think his turn in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is just incredible. The Sidney Lumet's yeah. final film, of course. And I just, I've been, every, when he passed, a lot of people asked me that question, and that's that's the one I said. If you want to see something that he did in his later years that really resonates, I said, that is just such a such a great movie, uh, and he's just yeah, really was, given it I at was all. Watching, <clears throat> I was watching this documentary uh, again, the Spy Sidney Lumet documentary on, mm-hmm. on Amazon, Amazon Prime last night. Yeah. Which is a great documentary, a great recap of Lubet's work, and and you know he narrates the whole thing with an interview he does, the last yeah. long form interview, and and he is so always been so articulate about what he does. Um, <clears throat> so it's a special document of his work. They played a scene from Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. It was a back porch scene after the mother's funeral between Albert Finney and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was just seeing that. I was like, I was like, God, they're both gone. And, yeah, and the guy and, that directed this is gone. Yeah, it, it's true, and and to me that scene just resonates. When I saw that movie, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck because it's you know the whole the movie hinges on this anger that the Philip Seymour Hoffman character has harbored against his father. He just basically he he wears that as a badge of honor almost. Like I hate my dad. Look at me, you know. And he just that's his whole identity. Is it, it's been shaped right. by the fact that he that he hates his father. That his father never never cared enough. Never showed him the love. And everywhere he goes, he lets everybody know that pretty much. And so, you know, they have the funeral for the mother, and he and Albert Finney comes up to him, and he says, "Well, you know, he has that speech. Well, you know, I I know I wasn't always the father that you that you might have that you might have wanted, and and I'm sorry, son. And and then you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman says, "Well, maybe I wasn't always the son." And he's just, and so he gets in the car and he's leaving, and you know, it's quiet for a moment, and then he just starts screaming, "He can't do that." And it was uh-huh. you know, basically the fact that he had just taken his identity away from him by saying, I'm sorry, because that, that right. he had no reason to be angry at that point. For His dad had basically, um, you know, had, had, had just admitted that, that he wasn't a great father and that he was sorry. And now, you know, there's no reason to be angry. And so he just was screaming that he was uh, – because his – because his whole that that whole like I said that whole badge of honor that he's worn all that he wears everywhere he goes about hating his dad it's it's no longer um, relevant and I, I yeah I, that's I, a that, powerful that, scene oh yeah God, that, uh, that that car scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman that must have been like stay out of his way let him do his thing oh we're yeah probably yeah. Only gonna, we're probably only gonna have one shot of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I, so, uh, uh, yeah, nailed God. it. Um, and other great, other great Finneys. Uh, I mean, shoot the moon is very special, um, and he's very special in it. Like, oh yes, there's a there's a wounded quality about him, even even when he's at his most violent. Mm-hmm. Um, in that movie, uh, and written by Bo Goldman. Um, yeah, who was great? I remember asking Bo Goldman about it and saying, you know, 
you've been married like 50 some odd years. Uh, you know, you've had a long and successful marriage. Where did shoot the moon come from? And he said, well, you know, we weren't always happy. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll ask no more about that. That's your that's, business. <clears throat> that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I think what kind of relaunched his career after Shoot the Moon, because he kind of had a few lean years there, but uh, after The Dresser, I think, you know, The Dresser was a big yeah. deal in 83. But then I think the Coens, you know, it was it was just a stroke of genius for them to cast him as a as as the as the Leo in Miller's Crossing, I think that was mm-hmm. just it. Kind of gave him an extra boost, and I think people started seeing again what we a lot of us already knew, but they saw that he was just such an incredible actor. And and then we started getting you know, uh, of course Soderbergh used him in uh, the, that Aaron Brockovich in Traffic the same year, which was kind of interesting. Right. Of course, there's a couple of those Bourne movies where he turns up and. Uh, you know, and of course uh, Tim Burton used him in Big Fish. That's that's the movie most of the younger generation uh, from my kids. Well, I know young, young, younger than that, like kids that were our age, even though you know it wasn't uh, mostly women. Women yeah. our age probably are most uh, familiar with Albert Finney or warm to him most based on Annie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, probably the 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 part uh, the movie the last great performance he gave in the '80s was Under the Volcano, the yeah. John Huston film. That's probably, and then that was, and there was a few lean years until he got on board with the Coens. But yeah, Annie was uh, was, yeah, of course. And um, I just recently watched Looker, which he's in with, um, cool. you know, directed by Michael Crichton. Of course, not an entirely successful movie. It definitely has its flaws, but. It really is an interesting story, uh, which kind of is is something that's happening now. It's about uh, models who are their images are being fo- they're being photographed and their images used, and the actual models are being murdered. And he's a plastic surgeon trying to solve that. And it's interesting because his love interest in the movie is Susan Day of the Partridge Family. <laughs> So, so you never, you could never imagine Albert Finney and Susan Day as a, as a romantic couple, but yet it happened in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's an yeah. early work he did with Lindsay Anderson, and uh, yeah, I don't remember him. And I'm seeing his credits here, and I don't, I don't remember him in The Entertainer. I guess Olivier just kind of overpowered everything in that movie for me years ago when I saw it. But. I yeah, I, I missed that one. I know he was in Wolfen, and that was another one that yeah. used to turn up on cable yeah. when we were kids. And, of course, Murder on the Orient Express, which he was, I believe, Oscar-nominated for, if I'm not mistaken. But Yeah, and then he and, played uh, Churchill in an HBO movie, The Gathering Storm. And, that's right, yeah, uh, that, was, that was good as well. Tom and, Jones, uh, and then just a list of great. yeah. And he directed the Charlie Bubbles, which I've never seen, but it's one I've always wanted to see. Uh, but he was—I yeah, mean, I loved him, and and he is—he is so endearing in in Aaron Brockovich. Um, yes, he is. Uh, I mean, so he could—he could play—he could, could play everything from from somebody that you can't help but love in the movie like Aaron Brockovich to somebody that you know to stay the hell away from in mm-hmm. every other movie. Uh, but. Uh, he always like had this thing where it was 
it almost was like his tongue was too big for his mouth. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. His way of speaking. Um, yeah. And he had he had an interesting way that he would utter certain words too that, that were unlike any other actor. Uh, I can't think of any specific examples, but there were just I, I would watch him and there would be certain words that he would say, and his his pronunciation was different from any other actor. It's like uh, uh, he was unique. And, um, Are and all I, those guys all the all those uh, English uh, drinkers? Uh, they're all dead now, right? Yeah, they're, they're all, all gone. gone. I he uh he he outlived them all. I'm not sure how, but he he did and lived to a ripe old age, 82. So, I mean, all you know, of them lived, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, Peter O'Toole lived a long time. Well, that's true. He did. But Burton, of course, kicked off pretty early. Yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But it wasn't the drinking that killed him. It was probably the three marriages to Liz Taylor. Well, yeah, that would kill anybody. You're right. Yeah, that that finally brought on the final <laughs> cerebral hemorrhage yeah, that killed him. Yeah, you're right. Damn it. I, sh- I should have just stuck to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Uh, and uh, one of uh, Joe Dante's perennial favorites, Dick Miller. Oh yeah, uh, character actor extraordinaire. Yeah, yeah we got to mention him. Yeah, he's. I uh, I went back and watched a bucket of blood. Had not seen that in forever. Uh, the night he passed, I'd been meaning. I they recently reissued it on uh, all of films put it out, and I had a copy of it sitting here that I hadn't got around to rewatching, and went back and oh, it's just so great. Such a such a great great movie, and I and I was instantly reminded why so many people. After seeing that movie, why it influenced them and this crop of directors often bring – and, of course, that character he plays in the movie is uh, – he uses that character named Walter Paisley in so many movies that he did afterward. You know, it's kind of like an in-joke. Um, but, yeah, Joe Dante always said that he used him in all of his movies not be- not, not because he just – he said he just enjoyed working, watching him work. That was the reason why he always found a part for him in his movies. He said he, his methods of working and watching him work just brought such a joy to him that that's why he always made sure there was a place for him. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, just a wide array of movies on his resume. I mean, he, oh, yeah. he worked with so many people. Because he was one of those presences that you that you vaguely knew if you're just a regular movie mm-hmm. fan that you felt comfortable with. Oh, I like that guy. Uh, and yet he wasn't so instantly identifiable that he, he could really be in any kind of movie. I mean, he did uh, he did a lot of B movies, but he also worked with people like Cameron and Scorsese, and you know. Great, great people, not just Joe Dante. Sam Fuller, I think he was in White Dog. Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, 1941. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's in, so like you said, so many things, and um, just all always wonderful. Of course, Rock and Roll High School is one that everybody always brings right. up. Uh, with, with I mean, he worked with Bill Murray's brother in uh, Moving to Violations. Oh, yeah. That, uh, yeah, yeah. Mhm. I'd forgotten he was in that actually, but I'm kind of have a soft spot for that movie. <laughs> do you really? I yeah, just remember I the I theme think... song. 
I think I actually think it's funny. <laughs> Still makes me laugh. I saw it recently. But he's uh yeah, he's in a he's in a, an interesting um deleted scene from Amazon Women on the Moon. It you can only see in the uh on the DVD. It was film, shot but not used in the final. That's that anthology film from that had segments directed by Joe John Landis and Joe Dante and it's 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 kind of it, it's well, the concept's funny anyway, and he does the best he can with it. But it's amusing, and it's basically he's a, he's a ventriloquist, and he gets hold of a of he's been touring France, and he's accidentally grabbed the um, uh, the the dummy of a competing performer who was French, and so his dummy only speaks in French when he takes it out of the box and starts to get up and perform in front because he grabbed the wrong dummy by accident. And meanwhile, the guy in France has his dummy and it speaks in English and nobody's getting the jokes. And <laughs> it's it's kind of, like I said, it's a, it's an interesting concept and he's, it's kind of funny to watch what he does with that. So, mm. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that does it for Celebrity Death. Anyway, so and then the, I guess we could talk about the uh, the Woody Allen thing where he's suing All right. Amazon for what is it sixty eight million dollars I think I think that's what it was yeah because they said they signed a uh, a long term contract with him mm-hmm. um, and uh, because of the recent public fiasco you know the the public uh, shaming based on. 25-year-old unproven claims that were dismissed in court uh, that many years ago. Uh, I guess Amazon felt like they didn't like the look of it, even though they were well aware of it, which is Woody Allen's argument. Look, you're well aware of these accusations and that they they weren't proven in court uh, two decades ago. uh, And you offered me this contract, so now to renege on that contract, based on yeah. you know what you already were aware of, uh, isn't fair, and you owe me the money that I would have been paid had I fulfilled my contract. What well, seems That's reasonable right. to me. Me too. Yeah, I think. I well, think me me too is what led to this new realm of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but it sure did. Yeah, but he's. I think he's got a valid point. Uh, you know. Because and I, th- I think, I think what happened was the guy who originally got him on board was a big fan of was a big Woody Allen fan and the guy I can't remember his name he was um, he got into some some sexual abuse allegations himself and was ousted from Amazon so when when he yeah. left that's kind of when this stuff started yeah, they started rethinking their uh, their policy of being in the bu- in the Woody Allen business so to speak. So, you know, my guess is if he works again, he'll probably have to go overseas to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, he's gotten a kick of uh, in the kick of doing that the past fifteen years anyway. But um, what happens to the one that he has done, A Rainy Day in New York? Uh, will they release it under the rate? They probably won't now that he's suing them. Unless it's a condition of the lawsuit, the, whatever they settle on. Then it has but, to be released, uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up like um, somebody who was guilty, Louis, Louis C.K., 
like his movie, his last movie, that just yeah. showed up on torrent sites the day it was supposed to be released in theaters. Mm-hmm. It could be, yeah. Well, there were there were screeners of that that came, that uh, got mailed out. Literally, the oh. that his allegations came forward. In fact, I was one of the people who received one of them, and I. His, I think his allegations were announced on Thursday, and that following Saturday, I had a package, and I, when I opened it up, I could not believe that <laughs> it was in there. But they couldn't stop it; it, was, it had already been sent out. They couldn't recall it. So yeah, it's it too late. And why would you send that out for awards consideration? I mean, that's I know, right? It was it was a strange you know, with, choice. With or without but... the with, with or without the scandal, it wasn't good. It yeah. was like imi- imitation Woody Allen. Hmm. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a definitely. He wanted to be Woody Allen. It was obvious from the black and white cinematography and the, you know, the the plot line that was similar to Manhattan. Of course, it had some overtones there. So, yeah, but you know, I I didn't think it was terrible. To be honest, a lot of people were were saying that it wasn't that good. It, I think they were they couldn't set it apart from the, the set. They couldn't differentiate the art from the artist, so to speak, in my opinion, and so I think that hurt its chances a yeah. lot. And I mean, it was, I it, and it was hard I just, too. I, I just didn't like it. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I would liked it without the without the scandal. I thought it was just odd and like nothing about it, it was, worked. It wasn't. And, you know, it wasn't great. The music. I, I don't, the, yeah. Is there is there a reason for it to be black and white? Like it, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't like the Woody Allen black and white. It wasn't. No. Like a romantic romanticization of New York City, or something yeah. taking place in in reflection of memory that we remember in black and white. It wasn't it wasn't an artistic choice. It just seemed to be a pretentious, empty choice. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, not a meaningful one. I agree. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, we both think that he's in the right to sue, and we both think that he should win that lawsuit. Um, Paramount pulled the plug on World War Z. Yeah. <laughs> World War Z yes. 2. Because they didn't like the way that a Z and a 2 would look side by side. It would, <laughs> yeah, people people could mistake it for World War Z Z. What is this? Like, you know, it's tricky, tricky, tricky project. <laughs> and in the end, they pulled the plug on the $160 million movie because they didn't mm-hmm. like Z2 next to each other. I think that's the reason. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, correct me, Adam. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. So, uh, no, I mean, I, Par- Paramount is in trouble, man. Uh, they really are. They really are. What is the deal with Paramount? Why? Why can't they ever? Why are they always on the verge of bankruptcy? Because they, they they've been through this several times. I mean, most famously before they before Robert Al- uh, Evans saved their ass mm-hmm. in the 70s, late sixties, early seventies. That's right. And then they were in it in it again with uh, in the uh, early '90s, and Forrest Gump saved their ass. That's right. Uh, and now they're back again. I mean, Paramount is one of the oldest institutions in the Hollywood studio system, and uh, they they really, they might go on. I mean, they might actually not be around much longer. I think they're the next one to fall. I'll be honest; that's my prediction. I've been reading some really disturbing articles that are that's chronicling their their financial woes, 
And, um, you know, their home video division ba barely exists. I mean, it exists, but basically in name only. They're just trickling out. They were, a couple of years ago, they were high on the 4K bandwagon, and they were putting out, you know, 4K discs and re releasing catalog titles, and that's all but ceased. And uh, there's just, you know, that's that, that part of it is not looking good. And, and I think... A lot of their problem over the years has been a they just didn't want to part with money because it takes money to make money. I mean, it's an old cliche, but it's true. And they have notoriously balked at spending money on projects over the years that could have really put them ahead financially. Uh, most recently, of course, was their failure to purchase um, Marvel because they had that opportunity before Disney, from what I understand. And you know, but they they right. distributed Captain America, the first Captain America, you know. So that was, they obviously were in the Marvel business, and I think there were some discussions, and they uh, they just didn't want to put up put up the money, and they didn't. And the course, one the the only feather in their cap right now is the Mission Impossible franchise. Right? That's right. Yeah, they're really they were really trying hard by spinning off the Transformers with the. Uh, Bumblebee, but I don't think that. I mean, it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't a complete failure, which is a surprise to me. I figured two people might go see that, but uh, there was a bigger audience for it than I than even I would have predicted. So you know, there's that. But then, but if you look at their history, they've done this thing so many times. Uh, think about Titanic. Uh, they were right. partners, financial partners on Titanic with um, 20th <laughs> Century Fox, and I think they. Um, you know they 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 capped their investment in it if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Fox yeah, had to put up yeah. the rest of the money. Yeah, and they didn't and get good the for offer. Fox because I think I think based on that, Cameron gave gave them well Cameron had a relationship with Fox anyway for from Aliens and the Abyss I think, but mm -hmm. uh, he gave them Avatar as a thank you for what they did on Titanic because. They covered most of the overages, and Paramount was sure. pretty shrewd. Paramount was like, well, they went over. They're like, nope, we're just stuck at 65, which that that worked out well for them because they had – didn't Paramount have the U.S. distribution? And it did well. <laughs> it, they <laughs> did. The they did. But I don't think – I think ultimately their their take on their – uh, the, the profit they made was, was cut drastically from what it would have been had they invested – you know the full amount. I think so. That it did hurt them to some degree, from what I understand. So, yeah. So there was, and the other thing too is, uh, I, I know most famously is the story about Forrest Gump. You were talking about that because the original budget on Forrest Gump was, um, I think it was fifty million dollars, and which is amazing to think that movie was made for fifty million back in '94. But uh, the story goes that they Zemeckis saw that. The effects were going to cost an extra five million dollars, and he was looking at it and he said, "This we just can't do this for fifty million dollars. We're going to need an extra, an extra five million. And they just wouldn't do it. They said, "No, we're not spending an extra five million on that movie, and uh, we'll just cancel it." And and so that was when Tom Hanks and Zemeckis got together and they said, "Well, you know, we really want to make this movie. How are we going to do this? We you know we need this money for the effects and." And they both said, "Well, we'll just um, we'll just do it for free, and we'll you know, we'll take the back end. If it you know makes money, then we'll take whatever there is on the back end, if there is anything, and we'll just take a chance." And they did, and of course, 
they <laughs> they laughed all the way to the bank, as they say. Yeah. Uh, and Paramount had they put had they chipped in the other five million dollars, they would have gotten all that money. You know, they would have paid the flat salary to Zemeckis and Hanks, and and they would have profited all with all the other. Yeah. It's just you know. It's that kind of stuff. It's difficult to know. It's difficult to know at the time. Do. It's true. Uh, I mean, it's I e- it's easy to criticize criticize people in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's like the opposite end of the spectrum would be United Artists, who did everything in their power to cater to. Yeah. Uh, t- the talent and their needs, and look what happened to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you talk. You got an artist pre Heaven's Gate. Um, everybody, all the directors loved United Artists. Mm-hmm. They spoke to. There's such freedom here. You know, this is a great studio for people that truly know and love movies and the people that make them. Yeah. Yeah, and that was. Uh... They never recovered. You're exactly right. So it is, you know, it's it's hard to say, but I don't know if they had made the decision to buy uh, Marvel and they had gotten hold of that before Disney, and I think they were offered it before Disney, then they certainly would be sitting sitting pretty proudly yeah. these days. So I think that's where it, that, that was that, where that, that too that too takes great foresight. It does because yeah. when 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 did foresight? Um, because you know you don't want to end up with a bunch of uh, movies like uh, The Shadow, mm-hmm. uh, and you know didn't they? Nobody really knew for sure that Marvel would be the juggernaut that it is. That's true. They did not, and I think that was the. That's why. Sony was was hurting hurting because the original they got offered all those characters originally I think it was um a 25 million dollar deal and they got all of it uh they were they were they would get Iron Man and they would get um uh you know the Black Panther and all what have you all the whole thing uh, the whole kit and caboodle and they just decided that they only wanted Spider-Man cuz he was the only uh character that they thought they could actually make any money off of so they they said, well, for ten million dollars, we'll take Spider-Man, but we don't want any of the rest of that. So, uh, and of course, of course, you know, other other studios took the rest of it, and you know what happened. So, so oh. yeah, that's uh, it, it is. But yeah, I think you're right. I think they're. I, I hope they survive. I hope they can find a way to turn it around. But uh, I know they've got a new seat, uh, a, a production chief, and who's heading the studio. Brad Gray, of course, was ousted in 2017, and then he died two months later, which was a big shock. I, th- I don't think anybody realized how, how that he was sick. And from what I was reading is that he was actually very, very sick, but he had hired somebody to drive his car to the lot and park it on the lot uh, so that people would think he's actually in the building working when he wasn't. He was too cool. sick to work. So yeah, so that's how he kept it a secret from everybody, and I think that his that that was when things kind of uh, there was a lot of uh, lack of management, so to speak, when he was um, before he was ousted and during his illness and all that. So I think that there's just a lot of configuration of different events that have uh, come together and 
and really yeah, I, I don't know I don't know that there, I don't know that there's another Robert Evans out there to save them. Um, to talk, you know, maybe there's somebody out there that can afford to run things uh, that actually knows about movies. Um, we could hope. But, yeah. And you know, this whole Disney Fox merger, while we're on that subject, it's it, that's that's interesting too because I was reading an article about that, and it's just it's pretty much in chaos. The Fox lot is in chaos at this point. You know, they don't know. Uh, this has never been attempted before. One studio basically gobbling up another and uh, at first they were saying there's going to be 4,000 jobs that are lost and now they're saying it could be five to 10,000 before it's over with and um, it's uh, they just they, they're not really sure how it's all going to shake out you know because it's never been attempted before so mm. that's a whole other ball of wax and you know how long will they continue to make indie films with you know, Fox Searchlight, will they continue? There's only speculation on that. They say they're committed to it for the next couple of years, but after that, who knows? Because we know Disney is famously in the franchise business, and they don't care anything about original programming or original making original films or working with directorial talent. So, um, you know, it's just going to be – it's interesting times when yeah. things are going well, yeah, and not coincidentally, you know, it's 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 contrasted by the rise of streaming. Yeah, um, yeah which it has. you know, I I I think it's going to be we're we're seeing it now certainly, but I think it's only going to be more profound <clears throat> the the way that impacts uh, theatrical distribution you know, or oh, the, yeah. the viability of theatrical. You can protest yeah. it all you want, but uh, I mean, some things feel inevitable, and and maybe not such a bad thing because I I, I am still under the uh, I still hold that it's more important that things get made um, and 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 get seen than uh, where they actually get seen. Yeah. Um, you know. I'm still of the opinion that I'd rather see a, a, a great movie on Netflix than not see that great movie at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And we've also reached a point where technology is very affordable as far as having your own home theater, at, at, you know, uh, that you can see things at home. Uh, basically, uh, rivaling quality of what of the theatrical presentation. And you don't have to put up with all the intrusion from the audience members being rude or whatever, talking and all that, you know. And if you have the the right setup in your home, it can, uh, you know, it's it it's it's it can basically be pretty close to the same thing, except you don't get the communal yeah. experience. That's the only part of it that's that's missed, and you'll never, you know. But I just don't I don't know what the um, I feel like movie theaters are going to be a thing of the past at, at some point, uh, and probably in our lifetime. Um, I hate to say that, but I think that that we may there may come a time, and and it you know won't be all that long, relatively speaking, where that's just uh, except for the event films, you know, 
which I don't even know. Like like you said, it may come to a point where uh, for they've talked about it, of course, for uh, a certain price. You know, you can get even the big event films, and I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty high, a steep price to to get it for the weekend. But you know, when you get a group of people over and they all chip in, it's it's as cheap as going to the movies, probably. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I just don't know where we're headed with all this, and it does make me sad. But uh, you know, life is about change, and I, I don't know what what can be done because it is we've we've reached a different different era. And um, yeah, I don't know either. Um, so HBO will air over the course of two nights this Michael Jackson documentary Leaving Neverland Ooh. Uh, March 3rd and 4th it's a four hour documentary featuring interviews with two of Jackson's accusers mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's probably one of the most controversial movies that HBO has aired uh, they, uh, I think they bought it before Sundance even premiered it, uh, uh, because I mean people are saying that it's just uh, uh, two these they call them two liars that are just besmirching Jackson's reputation and his death, mm-hmm. where he can't defend himself, and also you know HBO, uh, I mean HBO had a relationship with Jackson during his career. I mean they paid him big money to. To carry a couple of his concerts, I think live. Yeah, they did. That's right. And wasn't he on Warner Brothers Records or? Uh, he I'm was sure a Sony was guy. His label. He was. He was Sony. Sony, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. But I'm looking forward to it for one. Oh, me too. I, I am too, actually. Uh, I was I was interested in it when I uh, was seeing all the. The people who had seen it at Sundance and their reactions to it, it was very, very interesting. And there was a lot of bantering back and forth on Twitter with some some people who, some of the critics who had, had seen it, people who were uh, taking Michael Jackson's side on that and some who were not. But, yeah, it would be um, very excited. And that's right around the corner, too. That's only a couple of weeks. So uh, yeah. we're getting that. Uh, yeah, they, they're not they wasting any time. The, they... They also have the Alex Gibney documentary about the the chick that started the uh, the blood test uh, that she said would revolutionize testing in the medical industry, and it was all a scam. She raised all this money based on a scam. Mm. Um, I forget what that's called. Out for Blood in Silicon Valley, I think is the name wow. of it. That'll air have the you... next week. That's interesting. I, I would I would like to see that too. And speaking of scams, have you seen that uh, the documentary that's on Netflix now? Fire F Y R E that everybody's. I have not. No. I have. Yeah, that's about this music festival or, or where they lured all these these kids who were uh, and they fell for it and they basically scammed them and took their money and they didn't deliver on any of the promises that they made and. Uh, they, I think, the, a bunch of twenty, early twenty-somethings that invested in it, and they, anyway, lost their, lost their shirts basically. But it's, uh, they say it's a fascinating, uh, and I may not have all the details right, but, uh, but that's that's, that's pretty similar to what the story is, I think. But anyway, huh. I hear it's really good. Um, they say it, 
it's just amazing how people can be so easily swayed in this day and age. With uh, so I, I'm I'm hearing good things about that as well. But yeah, and I see now. I that, I did watch this. I did watch a Sam Cooke thing mm-hmm. on Netflix. It's like the two the two murders or the two deaths of Sam Cooke or something. I don't, I'm not sure. Ooh. Wow. Uh, and uh, it sucked. <laughs> really. Yes, only the last fifteen minutes of it were about the were about the uh, murder of Sam Cooke mm. and the um, questionable circumstances surrounding it. Uh, yeah. The rest of it was just a plain old biography, which I'm fine with as long as you advertise it as a plain old biography. Mm, true, true. Don't try to don't try to wrap it around a murder mystery when you only are going to talk about it for the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I heard. Uh, I heard that uh, the the, uh, the Manson one that was on there wasn't that good either. That they did sloppy research and they mispronounced names and things. And yes, uh, they did. Yes. So I was hearing that was one some, of those. I think that's one of those like British produced uh, true crime anthology things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, they they read a Wikipedia page. There there was there was nothing, and. Uh, uh, Almost every damn true crime podcast, which they're up, uh, you know, all over the place now. That's true of all of them. It, it, they, they won't, they don't send out a single email to get more information from people involved. Uh, they, they barely do more than just look up a uh, look up a website. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, which I'm like, then then you're just you're just an audiobook reading somebody else's stuff. That's right. I, I, I hate that. I mean, be do do some work, do some lead work, because all that stuff I did with Krista, which I'm still doing, intermittently, I'm like I took what came before me, and I expanded upon it. I found out new stuff. Now, mm-hmm. if you're going to do something about Krista, which there has been, there have been like four or five other podcasts about Krista since ours. I'm like, if you're going to do something on Krista, then you need to take it to the next level too. That's how this works. Don't just parrot everything everyone else does. That's right. Yeah. Infuriates me, Adam. It's a pet peeve. Me too. I'm right there with you, and I, I know one one of which you speak, which I've listened to. So uh, no names, but <laughs> I don't even remember their names. <laughs> like that, I don't either. I remember that the worth name of the show. me remembering. It's terrible. But honestly, I've listened to four four pod- There was one this last week that I listened to on Krista, yeah. and uh, and it's it's amazing. Like all the stuff that I found out just in the past year about Krista, if I did one of their the podcast the way they did it, I would be embarrassed because all of that information uh, there's nothing new in it, and yet there there's new stuff that that I found out. So it's yeah, like they're they're un, they're doing a podcast that they're completely uneducated about the subject. Well, I was going to say Thelma Thelma Schoonmaker, she did an interview. I guess uh, I don't know what the occasion was, but uh, during that interview, she did uh, talk a little bit about the Irishman. She mm-hmm. said that um, very few times in her collaborations with Scorsese have they ever watched a first cut. And said to themselves, "Wow, like that was really impressive." Uh, 
Nice. She said, I think she thinks that she did. They did it with Goodfellas or one of those movies. And then the only other time she can think of is the Irishman when they watched the first cut. And Mm -hmm. she said, they didn't even, they didn't even mind. She and Scorsese and a couple other people they showed it to, they didn't even mind that there were no effects in it yet. Like the movie worked just with the actors, with the little dots on their lapels and faces for the effects to be added in later. I mean, people were yeah. just watching that, and they were they were into the movie. <laughs> uh-huh. They're into the movie with seventy-seven-year-old uh, De Niro Pacino supposedly tried to play forty without mm-hmm. the effect. So, if the movie works narratively without all the extra accoutrement, then uh, it should work really well with when it, they add that stuff in. I mean, the, yeah. the movie works on its own. Because Aaron, yeah. Aaron's fear with it, remember talking to him about it, he thought it was a gimmick, the whole – he said, I think this would be the one time Scorsese like completely bombs because I think that age thing is a gimmick. I said, they wouldn't go through with this no. unless they were certain that it would, it would add to it. Uh, so, But that tells me that if it works without it, then it's not a gimmick. It stands on its own without the technological stuff in it. Yeah, agreed. And and he's such a purist anyway. He's not going to get involved in some project like this unless he's done dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's. He's not going to do anything that's that's not uh, technically feasible in a way that satisfies that's satisfying to him. Uh, in yeah. my opinion, Schoolmaker said it is not Goodfellas. Uh, she said people are going to love it, but I don't want them to expect Goodfellas. So it yeah. isn't the way I read it was it isn't a super hyper adrenalized movie. And Scorsese uh-huh. has said this too, that it's more reflective. It's more about somebody at the end of their life reflecting on the mistakes and horrible things that they've done, mm-hmm. the regrets they have. Uh, so it's a lot more meditative than that. Uh, Schoomaker said that the first hour is all the de-aged stuff and that she has seen shots but it hasn't the the ILM has not completed it to the point where they have seen a a whole scene with it yet yeah well that's um that's very well I I, I did hear that they had uh, they were going to be doing a a release a theatrical release in September I did hear that and then October I think I think October uh yeah in October on Netflix, but uh, that's right, yeah. So, well, coming coming fast on the heels of the new Tarantino movie, we'll have a lot to get excited about. We should we should have a trailer for the Tarantino movie soon, I would think. I know it's only a couple of months away. It really is. It's less less than six months. So we're, it's uh, they must be locked in an editing booth, uh, furiously working away. I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I saw yesterday? I saw the movie Perfect. <laughs> it, it was on Amazon Prime, and I was browsing around Amazon Prime, and I said, "Oh, I'll watch this," and so I did, and. You know, I won't say it's a great movie, of course, but it was a lot better than I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have a do you have a strong recollection of that movie? 
I really don't. It's been so long. I just kind of saw it and totally forgot about it. I should go back and revisit it. Because I like well, James Bridges. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people's complaints about it, I mean, it was kind of fatty. F-A-D. Yeah, right. However you would say fatty. Uh, because about the club craze in the 80s and stuff. And this was of the period. So it's not like they made it 10 years ago and they're looking back. at. I mean, they were in the midst of it in 85. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the rolling, based on true story, I think, uh, I don't know for sure, but it, it was co-written by a Rolling Stone reporter who wrote an article or a book about this very thing. So I'm sure it's based on his career. He was handling some high-profile criminal case for Rolling Stone, and then he had the side article that he was writing on the health club craze and how, how health clubs are doubling as the new singles bars. And uh, uh, he starts a relationship with one of the main aerobic instructors, Jamie Lee Curtis, who has never looked hotter. I mean, she's gorgeous in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and through writing this stupid thing, uh, he feels a kinship towards her. They begin a relationship, and he's – for the first time in his career, he feels – uh, an obligation to his subjects. He feels like not uh, cutting their heads off in the articles that he writes, just to, just to be tantalizing. Yeah. Uh, he learns what it means to, to have ethics as a journalist. And so I think a lot of people's complaints about it was, you know, it's a that stupid plot about the health club thing that's the main plot, and that's totally at odds with the real high-stakes criminal case he's also covering at the same time, and he's going back mm-hmm. and forth. It's like it's totally different movies. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's about how ethics matter in journalism, whether you're handling uh, a high-profile criminal case or a fluff piece. You know, and yeah. he, and he, he learns that through the process of doing reporting both. Uh, you know, I'm making it sound like it's some kind of gr- great drama of depth, but... Uh, and it's not, but it's got something to say at least. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not an awful movie. It's not like a so good it's awful. It's it's the kind that you watch and say, oh well, that's not as awful as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think James Bridges ever really made a movie that was terrible. I don't think. I mean, some of his movies were. I think he had high hopes for them, and I think sometimes. Such is the case of, of that one that that it didn't the end product wasn't quite what he 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 had in mind. But I think he 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 had good intentions on everything he did, and, and there's a certain um, stamp of quality on all the movies he made. I think there are things I enjoy about them anyway. And, yeah. Um, did you see the new Dan Gilroy movie? No, I, I did not. No. Velvet Buzzsaw, which is also on Netflix. You know, I I really like um, Nightcrawler. I really like uh, uh, Israel, Roman J. Israel. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, this one was terrible. Oh, ooh. <laughs> uh, and it's Jake Gyllenhaal again. Jake Ouch. Gyllenhaal, Renee, uh, Renee uh, Russo, Tony Collette, John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great cast. About you know some some murderous force in the in the pretentious art world, uh, and it you know a lot of grisly bloody murders in it and stuff. 
does feel like a great departure for him. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just, you know, I was watching and saying, I don't get the point, and I'm a, I don't much care to. Uh, mm. It just wasn't wasn't nearly as good and cohesive as those other two movies he did. Oh, yeah, especially Nightcrawler I loved. I just, it was fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he. I think Rene Russo, he's married to her, I believe. That's why she oh, really? ends up in quite a few of his movies. Yeah, I believe so. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe so. And yeah. I've noticed, I mean, I've noticed, noticed it for a while. But um, especially in Bird Box, because Malkovich is in Bird Box, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got this – you always look for where an actor's tension is. It's usually like a a place of habit, like whether it's a gesture or uh, something they do with their hands or their neck or something. There's always something that an actor has if he's not totally relaxed that he has a place of tension. Malkovich is in his mouth, and so he – makes this like oval with his mouth uh kind of like what Alec Baldwin does when he does Trump and it's almost like when he's really on fire with it he looks like the real life version of that famous scream poster (laughs) (laughs) and it's just it's he does it like the 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 most overstated version of it I've ever seen in Bird yeah. Box. I mean, it's like, my God, could you make your face more elongated with that oval thing you're doing with your mouth? It's just the weirdest thing. So, All right, what have you seen? Well, I saw Capernaum, which uh, is is that – I can't remember if that got an Oscar nomination or not. I know it was in the – I believe it – was it? I can't remember. It's the one about the, the – um, the, the the boy who sues his parents for basically give, conceiving him and giving birth to him and <laughs> because his life is so terrible and uh, oh, I think it's sounds like somebody else we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just opened up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it did get nominated from Lebanon. I thought so. I thought so. Yeah, I saw that. It, it is very effective. Uh, I saw it two weeks ago, and uh, that was uh, one of the award contenders that I had not caught up with yet. And um, very, very well done. Uh, very extremely depressing, <laughs> because the life this kid has is just, uh, it's, it's, it's just so oppressive. His, his parents uh, marry off his twelve-year-old sister to to an, an older man just so they can. Uh, uh, help themselves financially, and then the, the the sister is is winds up getting killed at the hands of the guy they sold her off to, and then uh, they get the cycle starts over again. They, they the, the the mother gets pregnant again, and she's like, "Well, we've 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 lost your sister, but a wonderful thing has happened. Uh, we're going to have another little girl, and isn't it wonderful how God's blessings have been bestowed upon us, and it's that sort of thing." And it's, you know the kid is just disgusted at his parents. He's just disgusted, so he leaves and he tries to make it on his own. And he befriends this woman, uh, this uh, illegal immigrant, and uh, she he takes care of her son during the day. And he's twelve years old, taking care of a baby. If you can imagine that, essentially. And then the woman gets deported 
And so he winds up getting stuck with the little boy, and it's just one bad thing right after another, and he's trying to provide food for the little kid, even though he's a kid himself, and he's just had enough of it. And uh, he basically is is arrested when he uh, uh, stabs someone uh, when he's trying to defend the little boy, and so he sees he basically his parents come to court, and yeah, it's 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 pretty Jesus, it's yeah, it really is. It's, it's sounds a, like a fun movie. Oh yeah. Uh, so so it's not it's not the irreconcilable differences version of that story. No, not at all. But it is very life affirming, and it does end on a somewhat positive note. As you can imagine. It really <laughs> does. The, the movie you just described, Adam, it does not sound life affirming. Uh, well, when it when it's all said and done, when the movie is over, I mean, it does kind of have a it makes its way back around, and there's there is a a, a little bit of a bright spot. Let's put it that way. By the time it gets there, so. Um. But yeah, I uh, I. I, I thought it was very well done. It's just not something that uh, if, you're, if you're looking for a bright, cheery film, uh, that that's not going to be it. Uh, but uh, it just opened here in the Charlotte area where I'm at uh, last, actually this past Friday. It just opened. So, and then the other thing I saw was Never Look Away, which is the German mm. film from the director of The Lives of Others. And it's uh, loosely based on the life of Gerard Richter. He was one of the 20th century, 20th century's most admired visual artists. And uh, Tom Schilling plays him in the movie. And uh, it basically goes from his childhood, where he, where his aunt uh, takes care of him as a, as a child, and he, uh, his aunt is basically sterilized during Nazi Germany, and then she is eventually sent to the gas chamber, and then the little boy, uh, he meets somebody who reminds him of his aunt. He marries her, and they uh, attempt to have a child, but then he finds out that his that her father has has fixed it in such a way that she can't have children, potentially, and, uh, her, and then her dad is a... Uh, he has Nazi ties as well, and he's a prominent psychologist with Nazi ties. And uh, through all of this, he manages to get into art school, and, and he channels all of his frustrations in life into his art. And uh, it's three hours and nine minutes, so I had to watch it in installments. <laughs> but it's uh, mm. it's uh, this director is uh, Florian Hinkle von Donner Schmark, I think is how you pronounce his name. But like I said, he. He he won the Oscar for the lives of others, and then he famously flopped with The Tourist, which was the next movie he did with Angelina Jolie, oh, right. of course, and Johnny Depp. And he hasn't done anything with the exception of The Tourist since his Oscar win for the lives of others, which is a, a, a pretty powerful movie. Um, but this one is good. Uh, again, not the most cheerful movie that you're going to find, but... Um, it's it's very well acted, and uh, I, I would suggest that if you did they have, see did it, they ever remake the lives of the lives of others? Did they ever do the American remake of I that? Don't believe they did. They did talk about it, and I think it would have been because that was a big thing with Sidney Pollock, uh, and I, I think it might have been Sidney Pollock producing for Anthony Mangala, or mm-hmm. maybe I got that wrong. That might be right because they both died around that same. Because t- I know Pollock died. Lives of Others came out in 2006, and and Pollock died in 2008. 
so there probably was a, a time there when they were thinking about doing that. That that makes sense. But this film, it's called Never Look Away. Never so. Look Away, yeah. And this is the Caleb Deschanel nomination, right? I knew it was Oscar nominated in some capacity, and I guess that's that's it. So, but yeah. um, I mean, and he, he he lived the movie too, because if anyone can't afford to never to look away, it's the cinematographer. So he truly oh, yeah. lived the movie. He really that's did right. never look away. No. Well, he does a terrific job with this movie. It is very well photographed, and and uh, I I found it to be uh, well done. I, I did. Uh, all right, so let's close off this show with. Uh, uh, a modern classic film score that is just now being released on LP for the first time from Varese Sarabande. Oh, do tell. Uh, do tell. Yeah. This is Jerry Goldsmith, LA Confidential. Nice. Nice. 